There was a time in my life when I heard three words uttered to me that I never thought I would hear. And they seared into my heart. And it was like someone had taken a branding iron right out of the coals and just touched my heart with it. And uh, it, it, was, it was a shock. In fact, I was so blindsided. I just, it was like a left hook coming out of nowhere. I blocked golden gloves when I was in middle school, and I, I caught a left hook or two in, in golden gloves. And I, I'm telling you, this was that. And uh, did not see it coming. And those three words were, I want out. And it was my wife telling me she was done. And I thought, I mean, I just literally was like, what? In fact, how, this is how naive and uh, unaware I was. I actually said, out of what? And she said, out of this marriage. And I was, I was dumbfounded. She had already prepared. She was ready for it because she had a list of these are your bills, these are mine, and this, she, she'd been planning this completely unbeknownst to me. I mean, I was working full-time as an associate pastor at a Baptist church. I was going to seminary full-time, driving from Comanche, Texas to Fort Worth, Texas, two days a week. So I was doing grad school. I was doing full-time ministry, and all of a sudden, I get those three words. And I called my pastor. I called Don, and I said, Don, i got to meet with you. My wife just, just dropped the bomb on me. And... We met in the parking lot, and we sat in the pickup, and I just remember weeping, and he wept with me, and we were both just in shock. Then the meeting happened that I really dreaded, and that was the deacon's meeting that I would be meeting with. See, you have to understand, I was, I was kind of a wild kid. I had a lot of edge to me. I still was rocking a, a bit of a modified mullet. At that point, I was playing in a Christian rock band. We were touring around, and then I was bringing all these skaters and rockers, and this is back when Metallica was big, and I mean, we were like, we were just overwhelming our little church there in Comanche, Texas with lost kids coming to Jesus because I thought that was the mission. And so I often had these really rough deacons meetings. We didn't have elders there. We had deacons, and, and I, I often said it was a deacon-possessed church, and... Uh, <laughs> Man, it was, it was sometimes rough. I came out of those meetings pretty beat up sometimes and just frustrated. And fr I was just like, they didn't, I felt like they didn't see the vision that we were to go and make disciples of all the nations starting right here in big Comanche, Texas. And I remember going into that meeting that night thinking, this is bad. I'm about to get crucified. And I've shared this story before, but we've got a lot of new faces and new folks. So I wanted you to hear this. Because all of us have a story. And our story zigzags and jags and goes up and down and over and, I mean, over mountains and down in valleys. And, I mean, our stories are all over the map. We clean up pretty good. All of you smell great, by the way. And you clean up good. And I even iron my shirt for you today. But I'm just saying, I have a story. And so do you. And so we sat down with those deacons. I get emotional every time I tell this story because the unexpected happened. That was a long time ago. That was 28 years ago, and it's still it's like it happened yesterday sometimes. Because I thought, 
I thought, man, they are going to take, this is their chance. Every one of them that were mad that I played electric guitar in a rock band, everyone that was mad that I was bringing all these wild kids into the church, everyone that was mad that I tore up the fellowship hall every weekend doing something with kids, um, man, this is their chance. And I was met with love, grace, and compassion. I saw these men become the church right in front of my eyes. I was so broken. I was gutted. I sat in that plastic chair around that little table and these men looking at me when we walked in, not a word was said. And I sat there. I, I still remember that orange chair I was sitting at, orange plastic chair. And I just, everything about that is so defined to me. That marked my life. And one by one, those men started sharing their stories. They started saying, this is what happened to me. This is what happened to my grandchild. This is what happened to my child. This is what I've been through. And I, I wanted to say to them, why didn't you share this before? But that moment brought all of our stories up to the surface because they wanted this young youth pastor, this young wild, wild John the Baptist type kid just to know that he wasn't alone. And he wasn't the only one who had experienced trauma and pain, suffering. And then the next thing happened, as happens in traditional churches, I call it terrorism, but what it was, was a meeting where they do a vote of confidence on whether you're going to stay. It's an open mic meeting where anybody can come up to the front and say what they want to say. And I'm sitting there on the front row feeling like I'm on trial for my life. No one said anything. There was no comments. But they did a vote. And the vote was unanimous. We want to keep Jimmy Pruitt on as our associate pastor. He's given four years of his life here. And what happened to him shouldn't have happened to him. I'm not going to go into details about the other half because I don't want to dishonor her for one. But just suffice it to say, there were biblical grounds if, for what happened. And I saw that church become the church. I saw those deacons become the church. I saw the church become the church. And I stood up before them with tears streaming down my face, and I resigned that night. Because I felt like I needed to heal. I needed counseling. I submitted myself to counseling immediately. I wanted to be whole, and I knew in that wounded state that I needed to take a step back. And I needed to reevaluate my life because the trajectory of my life just got changed. Now, why do I tell that story? Why do I want you to know that story? First of all, I want you to know that whatever your story is, you're not alone. And that invisible sign on the wall, it's visible to a lot of us. We, we, we can see it as clear as anything, that there are no perfect people allowed. The fact that Jesus is working on us and working through us and in us and perfecting us and sanctifying us and growing us and shaping us brings us all together on level ground because the ground is level at the exit of the tomb. And I want you to know you're not alone. 
and you're not the only one with scars. I hope your story is like mine because mine is a but God story. So let's go the but God side of it. I went to do what any 30-year-old should do when the bottom drops out of their life. I moved in with my grandmother. <laughs> Thank God for grandmothers who opened their homes to that broken family, right? She was always there. And I moved in with her. We, she lived in an efficiency apartment in Lubbock. I moved up to Lubbock. And I started working at that apartment complex, redoing rooms and flipping rooms so they could rent them out to the next people. And, and just just tried to collect myself. And actually, it was mindless work that I loved because I was able to do a lot of thinking and praying by myself. It was a healing time. A pastor took me under his wing, John Randalls, who's since gone to be with the Lord too young, to cancer. He took me under his arm, under his wing, and said, I am committing to you that you will be back in the ministry because you are called and the same God who called you knew that 10 years later, this was going to happen. So the God who knew this was coming called you anyway. So you're not disqualified. And he poured himself into me. And those elders of that church, Indiana Avenue Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas, they came around me and just nurtured me to health. So during that weird season... I was doing what most guys do when the bottom drops out. I started going to the gym, and I was pumping iron. I was working out with these bodybuilder types, and these guys were wild. I mean, just wild. They were all about working out. I got into it as well. It was therapeutic for me. And I remember one time they invited me to a bar, so I went with them because I had a plan. So the next week when we got back to the gym, I said, hey, you invited me to the bar. I went with you, so now I'm going to invite you somewhere, but you got to go with me. They said, where are we going? I said, we're going to church next Sunday. It was a setup. <laughs> I drugged those three guys to church. Annette happened to be there that day. I didn't know Annette, but she happened to be there, and she tells a story about how funny and awkward we looked walking in. These guys who had never darkened the door of a church trying to dress up, Walk it in, just lost, dazed, and confused. And the Sunday school class we walked into was off campus. They met at another place. And there were over 100 in this singles class. And the, the guy who was leading the class said, Hey, we've been praying for a year for somebody who can play the guitar and sing and lead us in worship. And I'm like, Well, I can do that. In fact, I used to do that a lot. So I just went up to Dale afterwards and said, Hey, I'll be glad to do that. During the week... I run into a girl that I saw in church that I had noticed across the room. In fact, I can still remember everything she was wearing in detail. And it was only 27 years ago, but I remember. Because I'd looked across the room that first Sunday we were there, and I saw Annette sitting across the room, and then I was like, I'm not here for that. I'm here for Jesus. Amen. I'd made a commitment to Jesus that I wouldn't even date. I mean, literally, I was done. So... I see Annette at the gym. That's another story for another time. So I was like, cool. I went right up to her. She thinks it was a line. It wasn't. It was purely innocent, I promise. It's in the pastor promise. I mean, I really promise as a person, as a human. I literally, I walked up to her and said, hey, I saw you at church. And she's like, yeah, whatever. And so 
Later, she says, I was throwing a line on her. No, the line came next Sunday when she threw a line on me. I'm telling the story. I got the mic right now, so I'm going to tell it my way. So I go in and I sit down. Oh, whoa, whoa, you better sit down, girl. Let me read the passage real quick. Something about submitting. I don't know. Seriously, we're going to read that in a minute. So anyway, and that's not this because I know my place. So here's what happened. I'm sitting on a row that's, that's more empty than that. There is nobody there, and I'm going to lead the worship for the, for the Sunday school class. It's before everybody got there. I got a little early so I could set my little amp and microphone up. So I'm just sitting there waiting, and she walks in the door. I'm like, oh, that's that girl I saw at the gym. And the girl I noticed last week, she walks over to me, I promise. This is true. Where's my Bible? This is true. She says, is there anyone sitting here? I'm like, well, duh, I'm on a row by myself. So I, I kind of got the hint there. I said, well, sure, you can have a seat. And then I got up and led worship. Well, later, we met over at the other campus, the big campus, the big church, and because we were off campus. And we sat together for the first time in church. And let me tell you what hooked me. Let me tell you what captured me. It was not her stunning good looks. It wasn't her beauty, because that, that was there and is there. How did you see what I did there? <laughs> It is there. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. So while Tony Gibson is leading worship, and this was not your typical Southern Baptist church. This was, man, the spirit was alive. John, John Randalls was a phenomenal pastor, teacher. Tony was spirit-filled. And man, the worship, they had a full team. This was not typical. And it was so powerful. And Tony was so anointed. And as he's leading worship, I look over at Annette, and I see tears streaming down her face. And you know what my thought was? Everything else is negotiable. I didn't know her past. I didn't know her history. I didn't know anything about her, but I did know this. She's a worshiper of Jesus. She's a worshiper. And because of that, I said, that's it for me. That's all I need to know. We'll figure the rest out. And that evening, we went on our first date at Taco Villa across the street <laughs> from Indiana Avenue and had two giant Diet Cokes together. And it wasn't a date, it was an interrogation. We literally interrogated each other because we were done messing around. We were in it to win it for Jesus. Amen. And if she wasn't for real, I wasn't taking another step. And if I wasn't for real, she wasn't taking another step. Because we had both made commitments apart from one another, not knowing this. At the same time, we, we figured this out later, we had made commitments that we will be single for the rest of our lives if that's what Jesus wants. We were okay with that because to be single is not a blight. It's not a slight. It doesn't mean you're less than if you're single and not married. Can I get an amen? amen. So it wasn't a value issue for us. It was if this is what Jesus wants, we'll be this. And then we met each other. And we've been together ever since. Why do I tell you that story? Because I want you to know your story is not so unusual, even though you may think it is. You clean up well, but we all have stuff. We all have history. And what's beautiful is that when that history gets redeemed by the gospel, when we get gospelized, and our story gets redeemed by God, what happens is, is now it's a redemption story. Because now you can say, I was this, but now I'm that. In fact, as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, that's exactly the central theme and the core truth of the book of Ephesians. Paul, I've been demonstrating it this way. As he wrote this letter, remember, it's a circular letter written to the followers of Jesus at Ephesus. It was circulated 
to others, but he wrote it from a Roman prison cell actually a year to two or three before he was martyred and killed in that prison cell, not knowing from day to day if this would be the day that he would lose his life. And so the book of Ephesians, we call it, it's actually a letter, has a lot of weight and a lot of gravity because this was a man who knew he was about to die. So the words he penned in that book have weight, gravity. They have impact because they were his last will and testament, so to speak. And the central theme is, you used to be this, but now in Christ you were this. You used to be this way, you were dead in your trespasses, dead in your sins, but now you're alive in Jesus Christ. You've been raised up together, seated in Christ, in heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. And all things, including your circumstances, are now under your feet. You're not under your circumstances. You're over your circumstances. Amen? The central theme, Paul was saying, you used to be this, but now you're this. And he says it over and over and beats that drum through the entire book. The reason that's important is that now in this passage, he comes to a new place. We've called this awakenings because we want to awaken to what God is up to and what God wants in us, out of us, and wants to do through us. And so awakening, we're talking about awakening to respect. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to go quickly through this section. Ephesians chapter 5. And this clicker is not wanting to cooperate. Hello. Did you do that or did I do that? You did that. Okay, you're going to have to keep doing it. So keep going. One more. So listen to this. Definition of spiritual awakening. Go one more, please. Definition of spiritual awakening is this. We're talking about awakenings. To become fully conscious and aware of the truth that already is. A lot of times we talk about spiritual awakening. We're thinking of something from the outside coming in. That's legitimate. God shows up, and sometimes he'll bring something from the outside in. But what we need to awaken to, and this is what the heart of Ephesians is talking about, is the truth that you are already been set free in Jesus Christ. That in Christ, you're already this. In Christ, in fact, we can go back and say, in Christ, you're already holy, blameless, above reproach. In fact, I have something here that's a tool. We've handed out over a thousand of these over the last few weeks, and we're down to, I think I may have one more bundle after this, but we'll get more. Here, what this is, it's a tool. So I want to give you something practical even as we start right now. In fact, go to the next slide, and I'll show you this. Notice this, awakened a new life, awakened in Christ. Next slide, please. Is it working now? It's what Russ has given me. The, yay! Thank you, Russ. You're amazing. Awesome. So listen to this. I used to be, but now in Christ I am. Awakening to new life is realized and activated by declaring, praying, and speaking God's truth, God's word, over and into your life. It's aligning your thoughts, feelings, and spirit with God's will and God's ways. So we do that by declaring the word of God. So we've taken these. This, Bill Loveless produced these for us at Christ's Life Ministries. Bill's a dear friend of ours and of our church. We'll have him back again. And so he's produced these, and what he's done is taken the Scripture, put it into in Christ statements. So basically you're declaring the Word of God over your life, over your situation, over your family. So I want to declare this and say this to you. This is how you do this. So let's say you men here, and we're going to talk about men and women in just a moment. Let's say you men say, you know what? I've not always been the strongest guy in the, in the, in the room. I've not always been that spiritual leader, but I can do this. And here's your assignment. When your house is empty, I want you to take one of these and walk through your house. I want you to read it over your home. It's very simple. 
out loud, say it out loud, and do it this, make it apply to your family. So here it is. Here, the statements will say, uh, in Christ, I am fearless. That's one of the statements. It's based on the scripture. In Christ, I am worthy. Here's what you can do. You can now change that to, in Christ, my family is. And as a man, you can step up and declare over your home the truth of God's Word. So, for example, you walk through your home and just say, in the name of Jesus, in Christ, my family is fearless. In Christ, my family is adequate. In Christ, my family is worthy. In Christ, my family is free. You can do this over your wife, over your children, individually, however you need to do, but we want you to have that tool. They're up here on the side of the stage. After the service is over, feel free to come get one, and uh, we'll get more as we need them. But I want you to have that as a tool. So as we're going through the Scriptures, listen to this. Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submit, and this is a transition statement from what went before. We already covered that. But now we have, is it the end of that last section or the beginning of the new? The answer is yes. It's a transitional statement. And listen to what he says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now he's about to move into a new section where he's talking about husbands and wives. If you're single, do not check out. Because this is relationship in general. And so don't check out because these are the relational dynamics. You have to understand something. As a family, you have an ecosystem. And we're attached. You could picture strings. Remember the strings, the loop, and you do that and may turn into a ladder, Jacob's ladder, or different ones. So imagine the tension that's holding this ecosystem in place. So we're all in an ecosystem. If you're single, you've got an ecosystem with your friends, maybe the person you're seeing, someone you're going out with, somebody you want to be seeing. We all have an ecosystem, and so there's attachments to them. So as we go through this, know that these dynamics impact the tension between the strings or in the ecosystem, the family ecosystem. So listen to this. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, it's real easy to get all quirky about this because in the culture we live in, which is very egalitarian, we have a mentality of everybody's equal. Let me tell you what Jesus did about females. He raised the value of women in a patriarchal society and elevated them to a place of value significance, and even prominence within churches. That, I was hoping to get a bigger amen from the ladies on that one. Just, not just my wife, but thank you, honey, for that support. Listen to this. The word submit literally means to subjugate. That's exactly what it means. Don't panic because we haven't read the rest of the verse. Remember, context is king. So while there's a story here, a narrative, there's a meta-narrative. There's a larger story going on here. Listen to this. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do the Lord. Guys, do not get too excited yet. Not yet. There's a but coming. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. You need to understand, we're going to talk about husband and wife's dynamics, but listen, the subject of this whole passage is not husbands and wives. It's Jesus and the church. So before you get all, oh, I'm the king of my, come on, now watch out. So listen to this. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, notice it says that you should submit to your own husband. That doesn't mean, wives, you submit to other men. The ground is level at the exit of the tomb. 
Jesus elevated you to a place. You are not subject to men. I don't like the fact that in our culture that 9 out of 10 women that are in the workforce are getting paid less than men for the same amount of work, sometimes more. I don't like that. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's godly or biblical. I think we have messed something up terribly. And this is not saying that you as a female are subjugated to all men. I want to be clear about that as we go through this. This is talking about the husband and wife, the family relationship. And there is an order to this. There's an order in every ecosystem we're a part of, organization, if you will. If you're in a church, there's a senior pastor, associate pastor. If you're in a business, there's a CEO, CFO, and others. Wherever you're at, there's a head coach, and then there's other coaches. There's, other, uh, there's people that are in order. There is an order to this universe. There's an order to systems. And God has given us an order to the family. But that doesn't mean, men, that we have a right to subjugate. Remember, this is something she does as an act of her will and volition, not something that you do as someone lording over another human being. So listen to this. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husband and everything. Husbands. Now, just so you get a clear picture here, Paul addresses men in their responsibility to their wives nine verses to three. So men are charged in nine verses to, sub, to subjugate in the sense of support, love, give yourself up for your wife, whereas women only in three verses. So nine to three, men, we've got something coming down on us. And listen to it. But listen, it's not a hard weight or a hard thing to bear. It's a beautiful thing to bear. Listen to this. Husbands, love your wives. By the way, that's the word agape. If you've been coming on Wednesday nights, you know what that means. It means to love with no strings attached, no expectations for something in return, no conditions. Unconditional, unmerited. Love your wives, agape your wives, just as Christ, look at it, loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did Jesus do for the church? He died. What else did he do for the church? What's even more exciting, he lived for the church. We get so hung up on the death, we need to get hung up on the life. Jesus lived his life for us. Remember what the gospel is for God? Listen to this. God, Jesus Christ, or God in Jesus Christ, lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. He lived the life we should have lived. That's what Jesus did. He lived the life. So he gave himself up by dying, but he also gave himself up by living to make her holy. Now we're talking about the church. Paul's bouncing back and forth and takes this idea of marriage as a type and shadow of the church. So look what he says. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing, by the washing with water through the word. He's talking about the church. The church. Look at this, next verse, 27. And to present her to himself as a radiant church, a glorious church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let me tell you something. When Jesus looks down on us, he doesn't look down with disdain. He looks down with love. He sees his bride. Now listen, when you're singing, you know, uh, oceans in the shower, that's a beautiful moment you're having with Jesus, but that's not the church of Jesus Christ. It's somehow when we gather, something happens in this environment that cannot be replicated anywhere else. When we come together, we become the church, the bride of Christ. So when we're together like this, I'm a church guy. We had our first 
semi-date in church while I'm oogling over her because she's crying in worship. And I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm totally wrecked, totally done after that. But it was because we were in the context of worship. We were in the context of the body of Christ. Something dynamic happens here that doesn't happen in other places. There's just something unusual. Something that's happening across town at First Baptist or at Mount Zion or at Holy Ghost Lutheran or at wherever. Something amazing happens when people show up under the banner of Jesus Christ. We become the church. We become the bride. We become this, radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish and holy and blameless. That's what he's producing in us and what he wants to produce through us. Now, we look around and go, wait a minute. Uh, I see some blemishes, and there are some wrinkles and some stains. Yeah, we got a ways to go. Amen? But how many of you know God is not finished? We are not yet finished. He loves his wife, loves himself, loves his own body. Talking about that primal instinct to stay alive, you take care of and you protect. Almost to a fault, man. We self-protect. That can be dangerous. But he's talking about that, that healthy desire to protect and save your life. He's going there with that. Verse 29, after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father. He goes back and pulls this Old Testament. I did a beautiful wedding this weekend. Had such a, it was one, of the, it was one I'll never forget. Uh, because the couple, both are followers of Jesus, and they requested that I give a gospel presentation to start the wedding off. So we started with the gospel. We start, and so it set the tone for the whole wedding and the whole ceremony. It was beautiful. For we are men, look, look at this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Leave and cleave, right? And the two will become one flesh. Jesus is saying that the marriage, the marriage life, the husband and wife, the family is representative of the kingdom of God. It's representative of Jesus, the groom, and the church, the bride, and their relationship. Did you know that our marriages should be so compelling to the world that's watching and looking in that they say, I don't know what you have, but I want it. I don't know how you do it in a world that's losing its mind. You're living up in a down world. You're able to shout hallelujah anyway, no matter what's going on. You, something is amazing happening here, and I want to be a part of that. And I've got to tell you something. If it, took, if it took me going through what I went through to get to this woman, to get to this, this kingdom this child of God, this, this king, this daughter of the king, if it took me going through all of that and losing all of that and going through that pain, let me tell you something. There is purpose in the pain. There is purpose in the pain. I would not be who I was. My story would not be what it be. The trajectory of my life wouldn't be where it's at if it were not for going through that pain. And let me tell you something. If you've ever owned a dog pound dog, they make the best dogs. Have you ever noticed that? You know why? Because they've been hurt. They've been abused. And once you take them home, they're just glad to have a home. Let me tell you something. When you look at your story and you realize where you've been and what you've gone through, how can you not be grateful that you're sitting here today with a pulse? You know, where there's a pulse, there's a purpose. 
And where there's a pulse, there is still a plan. I don't care if you're 12 or 89. There is still a purpose and a plan. And so we live a grateful life. In a few weeks, we'll celebrate 27 years together. And I'm telling you, I have to brag, and I'm, I'll, I'll bump chest with any man in this room. I think we have the best marriage in the room. Just saying that. I'm just saying. I'm not trying to score points either. I mean, I'm telling you. I mean, that's not a bad way to go, but I'm just saying. Listen to this. We'll land with this. Verse 32 and 33. He ends this section by saying it's complicated. Remember how we started our family series last, last, last time, the last semester? It's complicated. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So he clarifies, this is where I'm going. And then he says a wrap-up summary statement. This is in Dr. Egret's book, Love and Respect, fantastic book. He actually takes the title of the book from this verse. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. The baseline of that book is this, is that what men need and what they are looking for is respect. And what wives need and are looking for is love. And when love and respect are flowing back and forth, you have something that's beautiful. You have a marriage and something that represents Christ and his bride, the church. Homework assignment, men, just to reiterate, get one of these cards when you're home alone, read through your house. Stand in the authority that God's given you over your family, over your home, and stand on the Word of God and declare this through the atmosphere of your home. Your atmosphere will change. It will change because you're declaring God's will, God's ways, and God's purposes into the atmosphere of your home. I'll close with this story. But I was at Abilene, me and another associate pastor were there together. I was the lead pastor, and a wife came to us and said, my husband is not a spiritual leader. I, I, I want him to lead. I want him to pray. I want him to pray at meals. I want him to, I want him to, to lead our home and, and, and lead out and, and be strong. And, and I knew enough about this family that he was a passive personality, and she had a very dominant personality. But I was naive and younger, and I said, okay, we'll take him under our wing and we'll disciple him and we'll do what we can to build him up. And you know what? We took that brother in and he just responded. And you know what happened? Boy, he started to rise up. Man, he began to realize who he is in Christ. We talked about identity. We did discipleship with him. And I'm telling you, he was getting stronger by the day. And he had guys supporting him and encouraging him. And guess what happened? His wife lost her mind. Because what she wanted was a man, what she thought she wanted was her husband to walk in the God-given authority that he had. But what she wasn't willing to give up was control. And that family came this close to a divorce. It was a miracle they didn't. And unfortunately, they went back to the same aggressive, dominant, passive relationship that they had before because she didn't know what she was asking for. Ladies, if you're praying for your husbands to rise up, let me warn you ahead of time that it means that you may have to take a step or two back from what you're used to doing and how you're used to leading the family. Men, there comes a point in your life where we need to step up to the plate. 
And I don't mean this in some macho way. I'm just saying God has given you and called you to walk as the head of your home. And it is a privilege. It is not a burden. And you don't have to be a super saint or a superstar. We'll help you. We'll equip you. We'll do anything we can to help you step up into that. And you don't have to be a theological giant. You don't have to be uh, the guy who prays out loud at meetings. All you have to do is begin to step into, day by day, baby steps, into the God-given authority that's yours in the home. We will help you do that if you'll walk with us. We will help you. Start with this. And do something crazy. Do something radical like pray for your meal before you eat. Do something crazy like pray with your kids before they go to bed. You may just blow their minds. It's not rocket science. It's just leadership. And God's called you to it. Amen? Can we all stand together? I'm going to invite our worship team. We're going to go out with worship today. Coming up, worship team, get ready. And as we go, our, our prayer team is going to be right down here. If you need prayer for any reason whatsoever. We're here for you, and we love you, and we want to come alongside of you and hold your arms up. So we're here. Can I pray as we end? Father, in the name of Jesus, what a privilege. Thank you for the Word. Ah, the Word works. Teach us how to work the Word. Thank you that your Word is your will and your ways. Jesus, we draw near to you, thanking you that you are ordering our steps delighting in the details of our lives as we navigate this complex life that we live. But what a privilege. We honor you. Lord, if there's anyone here today who's ready to step over the line and say, I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. If that's you here today and you're ready to take a step and you were hoping there would be an invitation, here is your invitation. We invite you to come. Even as we close, you can come up to any of these people here at the altar and just say, I'm stepping over the line. I want to go all in. And they'll, be, they'll pray with you and help you take that step. And for others who just need prayer, we're here for you. For whatever reason, we are here for you. We love you. Father, we love you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.